Welcome to Exodus, California. I'm your host, Joanne Kraft, and my husband, Paul, will be your co-host as we share our story about how we left California and made our home in the rolling hills of Tennessee. Exodus, California is a podcast for Californians who've had enough and are getting ready to pull the trigger and make that move out of a state they once loved. Welcome to Exodus, California, moving to Tennessee. I am your host, Joanne Kraft, and I am here with my husband and co-host, Paul Kraft. Hey, y'all. Today, we are going to be talking about custom home builds, something that Paul and I have actually done ourselves. We just finished actually about six months ago. Yeah, we thought today would be a great time for us to share with you guys some of the things that we went through, some of the things we encountered, and talk to you about how we navigated some of those things. What I want to share first is we didn't jump right into building a custom home on land in Tennessee. Uh, Before that, we uh, had quite a a repertoire of uh, what we've lived in from uh, pre-existing homes to semi-custom new construction uh, up until this point, actually, uh, which was the custom build on acreage. One of the first things you need to keep in mind is it is quick process. A lot of people think it's very similar to buying just a track home uh, in a subdivision, but it really takes some time. And from the time Jen and I decided we wanted to build a house to the time we were finished was, I don't know, what, five, six years, you know, from the time we started actually actively looking for land until the time we finished. Well, we should probably share how this kind of happened, because I think this is going to resonate this podcast with a lot of our uh, listeners, because so many of our listeners really, that's their dream, is they want to come to Tennessee and they want to immediately start looking for land. And for us, we were here, I want to say, about seven years at least before we really started considering uh, looking for, no, actually six years, I guess, before we started really looking around at land. Would you say so? Yeah, that's a a pretty good estimation because we had kids at home and and we knew at some point those kids were going to move out. Yes, it does actually happen. Kids do move out. And we kind of said, hey, when the kids are out, you know, we'd like to to pursue our dream of of having some land and and a house that we've designed and built from the ground up. And so, uh, yeah, we, we started pursuing it about that time. When we hear from our agents that they have clients or that we have clients that immediately want us to find them land in Tennessee, it can be so subjective, especially if they've never been here before, to kind of, you know, just jump right into finding them land. Yeah, you need to take some time to learn the areas and, and some time to, you know, figure out what it is that you're looking for. As far as building a custom home, Paul, what was it that made you want to do that? What Can you kind of start our little story there, how we kind of came into that? You know, just the opportunity to, to be able to, you know, have something more than just your track home. So we wanted, for example, we wanted a pond on the property. Well, you're not going to get that in a subdivision. Uh, we wanted to be able to make some some custom things that we're not able to do with the track home. So one of the things you'll find if you are looking for a house, and this is really true too, if you build, you will never get everything that you want, but you're going to get more of what you want by pursuing a your own custom build versus going to the track home, even with a you know a builder that you know is building a bunch of them. To go back to our story, we were empty nesters or just about to be. And I said to Paul, is it just me or do you want to build on acreage? Because really, that was kind of our dream as well. But when we got here in Tennessee in 2012, we we found it more important. It was our decision. It was more important for us to be in more of a suburban area for our children to make friends, to be close to things as teenagers. We didn't want them driving 
you know, a half hour on country roads to get to a football game. We wanted them to be close. And so we basically gave that up. And when they were pretty much out of the house, we decided to pick up that dream again. And so when we found land, I had written down like all the things that we were looking for. And it took us a while, even us being here full time. I want to say it took us at least a year to a year and a half. Yeah. And I think that's important to the thing that you just mentioned about write down what it is that you want, because as you're going through and as you look at land, you'll go, oh, I really like that feature of that property, even though this land's not right. You know, I like this particular feature of it. And so if you keep a a running list, you're not going to forget some of the things that were important to you. And, you know, quite frankly, when you write the list down, you'll you'll start to notice those things when you go to a piece of land, you'll go, hey, this checks all of our boxes. I think that's real important. So. As far as starting with land, let's just start kind of telling our story and explain as we're telling our story what to look for and what what a lot of people will ask for. For one is they'll kind of throw out this arbitrary number. I want one to five acres. I want five to 10 acres. Well, first you have to ask yourself, what kind of acreage are you looking for and what is it that you want it for? Do you want to have a, a tree line view? Do you want it to kind of back up to the woods? If you want to, If you want that kind of thing, you may not need five acres uh, because Tennessee it back, you may back up to another farm. You don't need to, you need, you can cast a wider net is what I'm trying to say than what you think. Another thing I would say to kind of piggyback on what you said about the pond, Paul was I like to tell our clients or when I talk to people um, out of state, if you want a pond, I've learned here in Tennessee, they have companies that will actually, if you've got enough acreage, uh, they will dig you a pond. So you don't have to specifically look for a pond on your land. You know, there's water everywhere. It wouldn't discourage me anymore to find land without a pond. Would it discourage you? No. One of the things you have to think about is, you know, building a new home. You can you can budget all you want. You're going to go over budget. That you know, one of the kind of things with a new home that you don't really with a track home. If you're buying a brand new track home, even if the builder lets you pick out design features and, and your elevations and everything else, you know, you're, you're not going to go hugely over budget. But on a new home build, it's really easy to start budget creep where you go, well, you know what? Yeah, I know we budgeted, you know, $1,000 for lights, but man, that, that ceiling fan's really cool and that light fixture's really cool. So then you add a pond into it and now you're really over budget. So, you know, you really kind of want to find a piece of land, I think, that, you know, fits all your boxes and also understand that some of the stuff you may plan on doing to the land may take longer than you think because of the amount of budget that your the actual house build consumes. And and when you think of the land, you also have to think of how much work do I want to do personally with this land? If you have a natural natural wooded look, you may not have to do much except just keep the land cut down around your house. But one of the funniest stories, I think, was when we we got our acreage and quite a bit of it is meadow and we came to mow it and I brought we brought our uh, riding lawnmower, which is a big kind of lawnmower when when we went from like a push mower, you know, a gas mower in California. And so I brought the riding lawnmower, bringing a riding lawnmower to acreage was a joke. It was pathetic. It's made for residential lawns. It's not made for 12 acres. Yeah, well, it, it looked ridiculous and I busted a belt and I, I must have gone back and forth, zig, zigzag back and forth about a million times. Um, so there are things you need to think about. How much work do you want to do? Because once grass starts growing out here, that is something you need to keep up. 
And I think a lot of us have that dream, but don't have that desire to be yoked to our property and have to mow. How how long does it take you to mow our land? Uh, I do about four hours every two weeks. And I and I'd like you to do it like every week, but four hours every two weeks, and that's I would that's what what nine acres, ten acres of mowing, you think? About there, yeah. And it's maybe I mean, a little less. And it's meadow, so I mean it's not it's not super flat. Uh, obviously, if you get you know land that's flatter, that, that'd take less time. But again, that's one of the things you need to budget for. Is if you're going to buy acreage that has a meadow, you need to mow. You're going to be buying a a very expensive lawnmower. Uh, you can't go down to Home Depot and just buy the little zero turn they've got out front. You need something that's more commercial. You need something that's bigger. So yeah, it's it's one of those things you need to budget for if you're going to be building a house on land. And I don't want to be discouraging in this podcast at all, but I do want to be be very truthful. And when you have people looking at Zillow from California or or Washington or Illinois or New York, and they see it, they see a piece of land that looks perfect. If it's really a perfect piece of land, it's going to go pretty fast. And if if you're looking at a small snapshot, you may not see that it's on a hill, or you may not may not take into uh, a you may not think that, oh, goodness, I have to clear out all these trees. How much is that going to cost? And on and on it goes. Yeah. Well, the other thing I would say, too, is the closer you are to Nashville, the closer you are to Knoxville, uh, the more expensive land is. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it depends, I think. I mean, in Nashville, you're, you're probably not going to get 10 acres uh, anywhere in, in Davidson County. Uh, but, yeah, little re- residential tracks cost a lot of money depending on where they're at for sure. So what would you say as far as going, explaining to our listeners about perk testing? Once you have, once you've found that land, Paul, what do they need to look for and what is a perk test? Well, so one of the things, if you're going to be out on land, almost certainly you're probably not going to have a city sewer hookup. So you're going to need to get a septic system. And one of the things that needs to be tested is, you know, what size septic system can the land handle because the septic needs to drain someplace. And so the soil needs to be able to absorb it. And there's all kinds of calculation to hire a professional to figure that out. But the perk test is going to determine how many bedrooms your house can have. And uh, you can build a 10,000 square foot house with three bedrooms and 12 bathrooms. But the perk test is going to determine what, how many bedrooms you can have in your house. Um, and so you need to hire a soil engineer. They'll come out, they'll test the soil, they'll determine where your septic goes and, and how big the septic system can be. And then that determines the size of your, of your home. So that's a, again, a cost you need to calculate into it. Do you do that once you've made the offer on the land or is that during escrow or when do you do that? I typically recommend doing it either before you make an offer, depending on the nature of the market. Or, uh, you know, while you're under contract, it's not a bad idea. Yes, it's it's fairly expensive to get done. But the last thing you want to do is spend, you know, several hundred thousand dollars on a piece of land to find out that you can't build on it. Or you can only build a, a two bedroom home when your dream is a four bedroom home. So as far as land goes, you found the land, you've made the offer, the offer's been accepted. Now what? Well, I mean, now you're under contract. So you might want to get a builder out there to determine, you know, a building site. Uh, and start talking to, you know, people about what it's going to take to build out there. Now, one of the things that you might consider doing is, you know, if you know the type of house that you want already, get that drawn up at least preliminarily so that you have an idea of what the footprint size is going to be. And and you can go out there to the land and see, hey, you know, here's a good place to put this particular house's footprint size. How do we want to orient this? Is this going to work for us? So it's not a bad idea to have a house plan in mind before you go out there and uh, and take a look at the land. 
one of the things that clients will ask is how much price per square foot, how much price per square foot. And, and that's not always uh, accurate. Well, it depends because price per square foot depends on what you're putting in it. If you're going to put in uh, linoleum, uh, that's going to be a cheaper price per square foot than if you're putting in, you know, real uh, highly engineered hardwood floors from the Brazilian rainforest. Uh, so price per square foot is a lot determinative based upon your selections. I think a good kind of budget price, you know, if you're or not a budget, but a, a good price point to determine an acceptable budget would be, I say, between $200 and $250 a square foot. Uh, you know, again, cheaper selections, you can do it cheaper. But my experience has been that when people build a house, they start, you know, budget creep where they start out going, oh, we'll do it for 150 a square foot. We'll just do cheap fixtures. And then they go to the lighting place and like, okay, but that light's pretty cool. We need to have that in the bathroom. And you start this budget creep and, oh, $100 here, an extra $200 here, an extra $500 here. And you don't keep that running total in your head. And, you know, after a bit, $500 here and there starts to add up to real money. Yeah. And and I think for us, it did for sure. I mean, we what we started with is not what we ended up with. We ended up with something a lot bigger. And that was not the original plan. And it just, I remember the builder coming to us and just saying, Hey, you know, let's, what do you think about doing this? And we, there were things that we decided to do because we'd rather do the bones of the house now than the finishes. I mean, then, I mean, we, we got finishes, but you know what I mean? Then do the extra in the finishes. Like I should say, shouldn't even say finishes it like screened in porch. I would have loved a screened in porch, but it wasn't going to happen this time around. Uh, here, here's the other thing you need to prepare with for a build. There's a lot of compromise because I did not want a screened in porch. So, um, you know, you're going you to have. Hold on a second. You didn't want the, the retractable screened in porches. What no. is your. Break. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that. Well, you know why you didn't? Because you don't get bit by mosquitoes. That's why. Run faster. So, so one of the things you just brought up was the builder. How do you find a builder? Well, how we found our builder was actually going to look at a friend of a friend's new build. And when we went to see her new build, one of the things I heard her say was that she loved her builder and that she'd not had any problems. I mean, very, I mean, for just how glowingly she spoke of him. And I got to actually see the people he was using as the team that was working on her house. That said a lot because it's, it is a building is, is hard. And there are things, you know, like we say, imperfect people making an imperfect product. It, you know, there are going to be things that are going to come up and you have to make sure your relationship is intact to be able to have a good conversation with these people. And, you know, in terms of finding a builder, by and large, it's going to be word of mouth. It's you can Google it, but, you know, you want to talk to the people who've used that builder, get their experience uh, for it and, you know, meet with the builder and make sure you're a good fit personality wise. So once you guys have the ha- have the land, you've kind of got an idea about the plans, either you've taken them to an architect, what we actually did or what I did, I spent hours on Pinterest, but I actually went to a lot of building sites, um, a lot of websites that had homes, the farmhouses that I liked. I wanted like the extreme cracker box farmhouse. Paul wanted the antebellum brick uh, style Southern home. And so we had to come together and actually come up with a design that we would both be happy with. Neither of us got exactly what we wanted, but we stayed married and we got something really nice, which I think is a very good thing. Yeah. So for, you know, the compromise that we made there was we had lived in a brick house for the 10 years before this. So, okay. I, I had my brick house. Trans never had her farmhouse, but we did a brick skirt around the outside. 
so Jan got her farmhouse. Uh, I got a little bit of the brick uh, that I like. And so that was how we kind of struck the compromise there. And I put brick, I put the herringbone brick in the mudroom on the floor. Yeah, it looks very nice. So kind of getting over to that point, once you have an idea to the footprint of the home and and you're going to swing it, the hardest part is the finishes because that is where you are going to drool. What kind of kitchen do you want? Do you want quartz countertops? Do you want granite? Do you want cement countertops? That can make a huge difference in price point right there. What kind of floors do you want? Like Paul mentioned earlier. And the one thing that I loved immensely was the trim guy. When that trim guy came over and he puts basically all the wainscoting and all the, oh, just like the lipstick all on the house, the 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 closet. This is the first time I had a closet that didn't have wire shelves and I was giddy. So I wanted him everywhere. The moldings, the windowsills. Oh, my heck. I was in heaven. Yeah. And it's uh, it can be a little daunting uh, as well. But one of the things that kind of helped us was going to look at model homes. So we would go take a look at model homes for different features, for different design elements, for example, backsplash. I mean, you go and you get the, you know, this one piece of tile from from Lowe's or Home Depot, and and then you try to make a little pattern out of two or three of them. But then when you try to extrapolate that on a huge wall, it could be a little difficult to see. So we would go look at model homes and go, hey, we like that tile pattern. We like that particular tile, you know, color. And it helped us to be able to visualize some of these bigger items like flooring rather than trying to look at it on a small scale. And one of the things that our builder did and many builders do is they will give you an allowance. They will break up the price of the home when you write, when you sign the contract and included our itemized lists of what it might say, it it could be as broad or specific as they make it. It could say, you know, kitchen cabinets, $30,000. And then you have to go and they either suggest a kitchen cabinet place or you find a kitchen cabinet place. And that's something you'd work out with the builder. Uh, most builders, though, are going to want you to use their people because they have a good relationship with these, with their team and 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 with the people they work with. Well, one of the things you want to be careful, too, with, with builders is checking those allowances because a lot of builders will come in with a very low price point because the allowances are really low and it's almost impossible to build the house with the allowances they give you, so then you end up in a budget overrun. And, and the builder will fall back on the contract and say, well, look, you know, I told you I had $10,000 for flooring. The reason we're $5,000 over budget is because you picked a flooring that was outside of that. And they kind of know pretty full well that you're not going to be able to put flooring into that particular house for ten grand, anything close to what you like. So, you know, don't just look at the bottom line price and go, oh, this is the cheapest builder. Let's go with that. Take a look at those allowances and make sure that you're going to be able to stay within budget. That's that's great advice. One of the things kind of getting back to what you said earlier, Paul, was that, you know, go down to the model homes. Another thing that we did is I was on Pinterest like every night when I went to sleep, I would we kept folders. Paul created folders for each room. Um, I think it was on our OneDrive for yeah. our farmhouse. And so what we would do is I would come across a bunch of things and I would put them in a pile, you know, in a, in a group on Pinterest, I'd bring them before Paul and say, Hey, what do you think of these mantles? Here's the six I like, what do you think? And he'd either say, no, I don't like those. Or, you know, I like these three. And then I'd kind of expound on those three and we'd decide on maybe two of them and then upload them. I created kind of a document for our builder. So he had actual visuals of the things we decided on. Yeah. And that was really helpful to be able to, share that with the builder uh, to say, look, here's the design elements we're looking at. Here's kind of what we're considering. And it was an easy way for us to share stuff with them. 
Well, and, and a couple other things real quick on the design. A lot of people get a designer. A lot of people can do that, but you don't have to get a designer. It's completely up to you. A lot of builders like working without designers because it's just one more added person into the mix and it can sometimes get a little convoluted with communication. Uh, but if you're somebody who doesn't understand design or that kind of thing, I do think um, talking or going down to a model home could help if you don't have the extra income for a designer. I think it's helpful there. But one of the hardest things I would say for me was in a custom build, you're not able to see all of the house or another uh, you're not able to see a home already designed. There's no model home or the home you like. So you have to kind of think about what is this, what is the, what are these three little pieces of backsplash going to look like next to the kitchen cabinets that I don't really have with me now. So you have to kind of, some of it can be a little stressful. I like that part though. I liked customizing our stove, our, our cooktop range with the shelving and stuff that we did. Um, because even for us at the last minute, I'm just going to say this, Paul, your secret room, your bat cave got scrapped. And I know that really bothers you. Well, there's a lot of things that you kind of, as you go through the build process, you know, it looks great on paper. But when you actually turn it into a, a 3D building, uh, you realize, oh, you know, whoops, there's a door here that doesn't quite work. Or, uh, you know, there's not enough windows in this one room. It's too dark. Uh, so, you, I mean, you end up moving things around. And, and one of the things that we found out as we're going through the build process, they had framed everything out. And then in the laundry room, the builder comes in and goes, uh, you can't you can't fit a washer dryer through the door and around this corner. The way it was designed, <laughs> there was no way to get a washer and dryer into the laundry room. So we had to move a wall and, and expand the size of the door. And it's just things like that that on paper, it's like, oh, this makes sense. But then when you actually walk through the place, you're like, uh, this is a problem. And so you got to make adjustments. One of the most important things, be flexible. Absolutely. Because looking back now, Paul, we had maybe two very big and we do this for a living. I kind of I, if I if I'm going to pride ourselves in anything, I think we we know what to look for. And Paul mentioned the windows, because when we walked into our into our you know framing at the time, we were very busy with work at the time with clients and things. And so we walked in and it felt very dark and we brought it up to the builder saying, hey, we need two more windows. Actually, we went with three more windows, two more windows in the family room and one more in the master bedroom. And we are so grateful we did, because had we not, when you add a porch over the back of your house or the front of your house, that can add some shade. And that that's something that we didn't realize until we actually walked through the house so on paper. I mean, we saw the dimensions for everything. We saw the windows that were there. But when we're actually in the house, that's when we first realized, okay, we need more windows here. Yeah. And we still are so grateful for that. We are so grateful for the windows. And and really, it's subjective, right? It fits us. It's what we love. And we still go home after working, looking at homes all day long and go, oh, this is still my favorite home. Because that's the kind of home you want to build. You want to have a little sanctuary spot away from the rest of the world. And I, and I do believe we did achieve that even with the changes. So if you decide that building a new home is what you want to pursue, we definitely encourage you to do so. It, it can be a lot of fun. The, the end product can be very satisfactory, but you just need to make sure you're going into it with eyes wide open and uh, with some flexibility. And uh, hopefully this podcast has kind of helped you out with that. Joanne, any final tips on that? 
Well, what I'm going to do is when this podcast drops, when we would go live with this episode, um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, moving to underscore Tennessee, that's moving to underscore Tennessee. I'm going to put in our stories a few of the things you can do if you are building your home right now. We did a couple sweet things with the foundation. We buried a Bible in one spot and we also uh, did something fun with the kids on my birthday when we were building, um, which I, I did create a reel of. It's just, it, it was really sweet. And I think it would be something people would like to see. So if you're looking to find that land, if you're looking to find a home, I mean, we we would love to help you find land to build that home. We would also love to help you buy your investment property or buy your home while you're looking for that land. Take your time. We're completely behind you there as well. If you want to discuss it further with us, we would love to help you. Email us at info at maplewoodrealty.net. That's info at maplewoodrealty.net. Or you can call us at 615-475-7300. Thanks for listening to Exodus California Moving to Tennessee. We are so grateful for listeners like you. Show us your appreciation and subscribe and share this podcast with all your friends and family. And if you'd like to talk to somebody from our office, you can email us at info at maplewoodrealty.net. That's info at maplewoodrealty.net. And we can get you started on your own personalized real estate listings because we'd love to help you make Tennessee home. All right, darling. Barbecue's ready.